Hello, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. All right. Well, here we're here at our uh, Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I am I'm so excited. <laughs> I am here with Mark Skendret. Mark, I I met probably personally 2003, um, but he has been a massive influencer in in my life. I sort of uh, you know it's funny when the student is ready, the teacher comes in, and Mark's mm. writings at first appeared in my life at just the right time. He's an author. He's written a number of amazing books: um, "Belonging and Becoming," "Creating a Thriving Family Culture." Another one called Free, Spending Your Time and Money on What Matters Most. Most recently, one called The Ninefold Path Notebook. But the book that got me right at the beginning um, was, was his book, Practicing the Way of Jesus. So welcome, Mark. Happy to have you here in the conversation. Yeah, great to be talking with you, Jill. Yeah. So Mark, you're from San Francisco, but we, we were talking about Mark, Mark travels all over the world, uh, teaching and training in Australia, spends lots of time in the UK, um, teaching at churches, seminaries, all kinds of things. And um, uh, Mark, I, I just wanted to say before we get into any kind of conversation, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, because I remember when we first got this, I was, I, we were this little sort of prayer community trying to figure out how do we, how do we live this life together? And and I got together a group of young people, young leaders, and this was 2011, and we started a small group. It was so funny. A whole bunch of their wives were pregnant, so all the wives just sat on the couch together with their their big bellies and coffee cups <laughs> on their bellies. I was the only non-pregnant woman in the room, and Kirk was so afraid. He was like, "Jill, don't drink the water." Like he was really nervous about this. And we sat down and we read and we studied this book, Practicing the Way of Jesus. And, and not only did we read it, but we started doing stuff. We started practicing. And, and, um, and so, you know, as, as right now, that's, that's taken us, taken me, our community, and me personally on a long journey around um, sort of a practical approach to, to spiritual formation. And I, and I remember an early quote in your book, I was revisiting it and um, so, so intrigued. I want to start with this quote and we'll take the conversation from there. You say in your book, it's impossible to understand Jesus without attempting to practice what he said. It's impossible to understand him. So, so talk to me about the, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, if you, in context of the new Testament, the primary message of Jesus, according to Mark one fifteen, was the kingdom of God is at hand. So dream up, rethink everything about your life, reimagine it and uh, believe the good news, step into this. And so um, I think many of us in the Western world got the idea that Christianity is primarily about the afterlife or or one segment of your life. And it's clear from, um, from, the way Jesus proclaimed kingdom reality that he was talking about how life actually works and how it works best. And so the best summary we have of that is the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of it, he said, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice yeah, yeah. is wise. So 
Um, that's why that's we need. Kicker. Yeah, that's why we it's, need practice. Is is because of yeah. the amazing vision of life with God in the here and now. And um, I think that in Christendom, we've tended to we, in in the Christendom era, we tended to locate God in buildings and in the future or the past. And actually, kingdom reality is all around us. In God, we live and move and have our being. And so, um, we have to learn to live, live, in, live in reality. And the only way to do that is by walking out a way of life, uh, experimenting, testing things out, and seeing if, seeing if what Jesus said actually works in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The great experiment. I love that language. I, I think that word has been so helpful for me over almost a, a decade of exploration and spiritual formation is that word experiment. And I think you used another term that I really enjoy. You talk about learning labs. Yeah. And uh, so t- talk to me about why you chose that kind of language, experiment, learning laboratory. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I looked at, first of all, I would say I came to a point in the early 2000s of great frustration in my, my own personal spiritual life. And we'd moved to San Francisco to, to start a new faith community as church planters. And if I mentioned that I was a pastor or just a Christian, most people that I met would basically say, you know, Jesus is cool, but you Christians suck. And <laughs> yeah, you probably and, would get that from anybody you chat to on the streets in London as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually not a direct quote. That's a kind summary of what people actually said. <laughs> but but I realized I hadn't I hadn't learned very well how to practice the way of Jesus. And um I think a watching world longs to see people who identify as Christians actually looking like little Christs you know, like the nickname from the book of Acts. And so, um, we first started naming, these are qualities of kingdom living that Jesus seemed to embody. And we came up with seven vows that would put us, put us in that direction, but they really didn't have any teeth to them. They were just sentiments, inspiring things. <laughs> so, they, and, were, they were sort of inspiration and aspiration, very abstract, sort of woo-woo up there somewhere. Yeah. And so, at a certain point, we th- we looked more closely and we said, we need to test these things out and, um, and not just feel some inspiration, but actually support each other to try on some new things. And I, and I use the term lab because of the, I think it, it relates to the rabbi-apprentice relationship that Jesus had with his disciples. And um, it was assumed in that culture that you followed the rabbi, you listened to what they said, you watched what they did, they would, and you tried to emulate their life, and you took on um, tasks and, uh, based on their instructions. And I think the, the dominant form that faith has taken in the modern world is information download. Yeah. You know, you go into a special space, you get information, and um, and it uh, you're expected to go work it out on your own, um, or maybe you have a maybe you have an experience in the room that inspires you and lifts you for the week, but that doesn't get to that kind of um, the the depth of the 
of the rabbi apprentice relationship. And so we thought we need something more like, like, like the way Jesus made disciples is more like a karate studio than a college lecture hall. He wasn't just giving information. There was this trusted relationship and going out and doing things. Hey, um, look at all these people gathered. They need some food. You give them something to eat. That was a huge test. Or I want you to go to the village in front of me and proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick, care about the poor. And the disciples weren't good at those things. They failed. But the way we learn is by taking on a, a practice taking a risk and then noticing what we experienced and reflecting on that. And a lot of times failures involved in that. And then saying, what else do I need to learn or know in order to take my next step to living kingdom reality? So I, I love that testing laboratory experimenting with, otherwise it's just the theoretical knowledge. Yeah. I think that the language of experimentation, I think it takes a lot of pressure off. Right. Mm-hmm. I just think like, just to, like you're going to learn, as you said, you're going to learn as much from what doesn't work as what works. Like give it a go. It actually, that part of your teaching really set culture in our prayer community because we actually, one of our, our joking mottos was, you know what, if you're going to blow it here, blow it big. Do it yeah. with style and panache. Because if you're not failing, you're not actually taking any risks. And we want to have the kinds of of communities where we're, we're just, we're really like, we're just going to go out there and, and try something crazy that Jesus happened to have said. And, and yeah. there, I think there's something about that. Eh? We're so risk averse, right? Do you yeah. find that? I mean, you teach lots of places and. I think, um, I think, I think we've been enculturated into passivity, mm. but most places I go, if I, I, well, let me, let me say this. Um, I'm conscious that I have to, um, it invite the possibility of renegotiating the contract. So when I'm with a group, I'll say, let's just, let me just state the way this normally goes. I'm, my job is to inspire, to say some wise things, maybe be entertaining and funny. And your job is to nod, maybe take some notes and come up to me afterwards, shake my hand and say, you know, good on you. Or that you know whatever, or in Australia to insult me as a compliment. But um, I said we let's be honest, that doesn't change either of us. Yeah. So what if we tried something different? Where um, I'm not going to talk so long. I'm going to make space for you to interact with one another, and with the Creator who's here with us, and um, that we might take on some risks to to see how to get this truth deep into our lives. We want to, we want to live in the truth, not just know the truth. And most places I go, sometimes the leaders will say, our people, this is like a attractional gathering. They're not going to want to participate. And uh, so don't try it at all. I'll say, well, let me just see. And inevitably I'd say 99% of the time people go, they never forget that the time we were together and they go, I really connected in a deeper way to myself and to others and to God. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that phrase, renegotiating the contract. You know, I think, I think one of the, the challenges that, you know, certainly as churches are, are wrestling through discipleship, I mean, that's the language that they're using. How do we, how do we make disciples? And so, you know, and, and as you said, the Sunday inspirational 
you know, there's an element there. And then um, the, uh, you know, okay, well, if, if we're not getting enough sun, let's do small group, right? And, and um, I, I think it's that, that point of renegotiating who we are to one another. And, and what we can invite one another to. I think the other piece that, that, you, that I see and what you've done is what's been really helpful for us in terms of how we've shaped discipleship back at, at my house of prayer um, was, was the reflection on our practice. And I think that's the missing piece so often. You'll go into a, your small group, your church small group, and you'll be like, okay, so what did we learn? And then how do you apply it? And then the next week you meet, and you're like, well, what do you learn? And how do you apply it? And it's that missing yeah. that, that actual, all right, everybody, what happened this week? Let's, yeah. And I remember an early course I took, you know, at seminary was, they and they likened it to um, a railway track. And they said that one rail is, is the learning, right? This is how formation happens. One rail is the learning. One rail is, is practice. But the only thing that's going to hold those things together in a, a long-term parallel track is the reflection on that practice mm. in a supportive mm-hmm. environment. And so I think that's the piece that, that your work has brought into my world um, that, that has been, it's really up the ante for all of us, right? It's that checking in saying, yeah. so did, did you do it? How, how did it work for you? What didn't? And, and, um, and creating that space. Um, define for me, uh, just in terms of language, the phrase um, community of shared practice. Mm-hmm. And we've used that. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I. It's another term uh, uh, phrase that I. Uh, well, a phrase related to that that I use is I said, "You guys, we're trying to create a Jesus dojo," and dojo is a Japanese word that means place of the way, and uh, it connotes a practice space. So you could have a, you could have a muffin making dojo. <laughs> You could have a knitting dojo. You could, uh, like, we understand there's these spaces where you do things together and they're not theoretical spaces. Imagine if you went to a karate studio with a notebook and a pen and, <laughs> and your and street clothes. And what's the PowerPoint of karate? <laughs> yeah, and, and you sat in the back. You're, the, the, the sensei is going to say, what are you doing? Like, you, get, your, get geared up here. Get your clothes, the, your proper clothes on. We're going to be practicing together, yeah. and um, and the um, so I think a community of practice is where a group of people look at the teachings of Jesus and um, connect it to aches and longings and gaps in their own lives and the needs of their community, and then take on a specific practice for a period of time, and then reflect on how that experience might shape the ongoing rhythms of life. Um, so, the, a couple of the elements that are really important, one is that we're honest, and the, me as a leader, I need to be on, ruthlessly honest and self-aware myself. And, and you need to be other, practicing yourself. Yes, and yeah, other yeah. people... And and I need, and I want to invite others to be honest with what's really going on in their lives as well. We want to look at what the alternative vision of kingdom reality is for us, and then we need to have an. Op- I think this is this is as as important as reflection. People need an opportunity to opt in to the practice. 
So sometimes, typically today, if a good communicator is going to make some application or suggest some, yeah. but if you, every time you gather, there's another thing that you should be doing or could be doing that you're not doing, it feels like a pile of shoulds on your shoulders. Yeah. And we end up, the net effect is we end up feeling really discouraged because we know we should be doing, could be doing something different. So I, I think that the term invitation is super important. I don't tell people what they should do. I say, the gospel is inviting us into this. Would you like to do it together with me and others? And that consent part is super important. Um, sometimes when people are trying to make a more practical formation environment, they throw out a lot of ideas about practices. But until I consent to it, it just is a is a pile of shoulds. Yeah. So uh, giving consent and then we take this into our life and we, um, you know, I, I like, I like seven day practices, 14 day practices, sometimes up to about 40 days where we say, let's, let's deal with this. Uh, let's do something in our life. So we're going to be doing, you and I are going to be in a practice group in June. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> we're going to do a journal entry once a week. We're going to take on a daily habit. And then we're going to do one experiment each week in our lives. And then when we get back together the next time we meet, say, what did you know? What came up in your journal exercise? What did you notice was different because of the daily habit? And what happened when you took that bigger risk to follow the teaching of Jesus in your relationships with others this week? And mm-hmm. that, ref- that process of reflecting um, brings up a lot. It, it like elevates the energy of any group that I've been in. Um, some people will say, yeah, wow, I felt more peaceful this week because of that practice. Or uh, I did ask, seek, knock prayer. And I, I saw where creator was providing for me in ways that I'd missed before. Or it could be, um, I really struggled to do this. And um it sounded like a small thing. All I had to do was sit in a chair for 10 minutes in um, contemplative prayer in the morning, and I just didn't do it. Yeah. And we don't, we're not hard on people, but we'll say, let's be curious about that. What, what do you think, what kind of resistance did you face inside that made it difficult for you to follow through on something that you said that you wanted to do? Let's, let's explore that. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes it takes more, what, it, when we're beginning to take on a more practical approach to formation, we're just learning to exercise our will maybe for the first time in our lives. Hmm. Tell me more about that. That's, that's an interesting concept. Well, it's suggested that most of, most of what we do is based on habit. So your, your life right now, my life, they are... Um, they're, they're perfectly explained by what I've been practicing every day for 20 or 30 years. Patterns of thought, um, ways that I live in my body, um, patterns that I have in how I react to um, other people. And so if we want to see something different in our lives, then we have to, we have to change, like make a conscious choice to change the pattern of thought or to change the pattern of how we live in our bodies. And uh, a great uh, place that summarizes this is in Romans 12, one and two, where Paul says, 
um, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is this is your spiritual act of worship, and um, Paul's clear on this that true worship is the systematic surrender of the body back to the rule and reign of the Creator. Mm. Earlier, he says you used to use the parts of your body as um, instruments of wickedness. Now choose to use them in a new way. So with my tongue, I curse people. I speak contempt. I speak jealousy. I need to learn. I can learn to, to use my tongue in a different way. With my eyes, I judge. I lust. But I can learn to use my eyes for a different purpose. Um, so, uh, um, so I'm getting lost because I'm, you know, on a run here. <laughs> there's, there was an original question here. <laughs> oh, so so the other part of Romans, the other part of Romans twelve one and two is. He also talks about renewing your mind. So if I want to break the patterns or the habits that I've had and discover a new way, the way of the kingdom, this new new creation life, I need to try new things in my body and practice new habits of mind. And the key to doing that is giving my consent to saying, I'm noticing myself worrying. I'm noticing myself being jealous. I... Um, I want to go, I want to do this with my body and have the space to reflect to say, do I want to just go with the pattern or would I like to take a new step mm-hmm. um, and to, to make that choice? Now, it'd be exhausting to do all of that forever. And that's why, that's why the term experiment is so helpful is to go for seven days or for 14 days, or for 21 days, I'll try this. Mm-hmm. And most of us, even if we find it, have found for things that we found quite difficult to change, if there's a it's, there's a time bound space, kind of bookended, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's bookended, we can have a lot more success than we maybe expected. Mm-hmm. So, talk to me just really briefly about the the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of all of that. So, there's an invitation to to think or to do differently. There's an aspiration in our heart. There's yeah. a willingness and there's a desire. So how does the empowerment of God factor into that whole configuration? Yeah. So um, in Philippians, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to God's good purposes. So this presents a, uh, I think, a cooperative or participatory understanding of spiritual formation. Um, The Holy Spirit is 100% here available to renew my life, to call me up into the bigger, greater purposes of God's kingdom. Um, But my life is conditioned in resistance to the Spirit's purposes. Yeah in many ways. And so I need to do what I can to join in what God is trying to do inside of what the spirit's trying to do inside of me. And um, one of my mentors, Dallas Willard used to say um, practices or disciplines um, uh, are our part and God will do in us what we are not able to do for ourselves. So the spirit does that work. And ultimately we need, we need a change of heart. 
and we we need our minds renewed. And um, so it's all about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, wonderful. Now and we've talked about this sort of theoretically and practice. Talk to me about one of your your experiments that you've done with with one of your in your your Jesus dojos or your learning labs. Give us a, a particular experiment that you tried yeah. and. Uh, one that I use just because it's a, a evocative example is from a long time ago. And it's um, when we first started, uh, I got a group of leaders together and we read through the book of Luke and we were looking for places where Jesus gave his disciples inst- instructions about kingdom living. And we came up with about 30 or 40 potential experiments. And then we prayed together and discussed and said, which one do we want to try first? And we were young and maybe a bit um, gung-ho and <laughs> egotistical. <laughs> but young and what, really, what really popped out at us was in Luke 12, Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And we're like, we've never heard any group think that Jesus was serious about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we know that he was because in the book of Acts, it says selling their possessions and goods yeah. they gave to anyone who had need. So they learned this habit of being open-handed. So we did some dis- chatting about it and said, "What do you? why did Jesus say that? What was the kingdom reality that he was pointing us towards? And I think it's God's provision of an abundance. And what would that look like for us? How could we respond to that? And so we thought, what if, um, when John the Baptist was proclaiming kingdom reality, he said, um, people said, what should we do? And he said, if you have two coats, give one of them away. If you have food, give to the one who doesn't. And we thought, great, we'll do an experiment called have two, give one. All of us, I'm gonna, we're going to invite a group of people to join us. And over the next two months, sell or give away half of what we own um, and to help the poorest people in the world. And it's amazing that people actually signed up for it. (laughs) I didn't think anybody would. (laughs) (laughs) But we had 30 people who signed up. Wow. And uh, what what that said to me as a leader is people are probably more willing to try things than I've given them credit for. Yeah. And I just haven't had the courage as a leader to invite. So each week we would have a different kind of category of possessions and we'd actually bring what we felt invited to sell or give away and collect them at our Wednesday night or Thursday night gatherings. And now it's real. Like there's a pile of clothes in my living room. After <laughs> or or your gone vinyl, through. your albums. <laughs> yeah. And, and so then we, then, then it's not a theor- theoretical conversation about what Jesus might've meant. There's this, we prayed, we went through our closets and drawers and I and then I asked the group, what came up for you while while you were doing this exercise? And people had a lot of insight into that. Somebody said, I found things that still had the price tags on them from years ago. Mm. I I was doing retail therapy. I wasn't trying, mm. I wasn't buying this out of necessity. Or other people said, I counted it up. I have enough outfits I could I could wear a different thing every day for two months and not have to do laundry. But I only use the same clothes, like three or four things over and over. Why do I have all this other stuff? And um, about partway through, we, 
um, we'd gotten rid of, you know, sold or given away a lot. And one of the guys in the group said, I don't think we're quite getting to it. This is actually easier than I thought it would be. Um, I think I could get rid of everything. And within six months, I'd get it all back because we live in such an affluent part of the world where if you don't have something, everybody's got a spare bicycle Mm -hmm. or an old laptop. So I think we should also talk about how much we make, how we spend it, and what our debts and assets are. Because they did that in the book of Acts. It says there were no needy among them. How did they know who had needs and how did they know who had things to share? unless they talked about it and everyone with this, this was like taking the experiment to a whole new level, but it ended up being one of the most powerful parts of it. We got together the next week and each of us had a chance to share as much as we were comfortable with about that. And some amazing things came out of it. Uh, Mm. Some people started down a road of getting out of debt and realigning their finances. Other people we're able to choose more meaningful work. We found out one of one of the people in our group was really in financial struggle and um, couldn't afford their rent. And so others invited them to come live with them until they got their oh. finances in order. Yeah. All out of doing this goofy, scary little experiment. And it kind of proved to us, wow, when we get really real with this stuff in a um, in a kind and generous way, it accelerates both our like the change we can experience in our lives and also our level of intimacy and connectedness yeah. as mm-hmm. a community. No, that's beautiful. And both of those things are just transformational, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay, so just, just sort of wrapping up, you travel all over. I mean, you're just, we were just saying here in, in COVID. Well, not anymore. This, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> but what have you, I mean, what have you been seeing in terms of the trends in spiritual formation uh, in the last couple of years? What are you noticing in in the larger arena? Uh, A couple of things. Um, I think that when I started this work 15 or 20 years ago, there was, there was a lot of silos in the spiritual formation space. So you had the contemplatives and you had the, um, justice activist types. You had the sort of um, contemplative theological types, and you had the charismatic types, and um, they didn't talk a lot, and those were seen as different areas of interest. And generally, what I see is a breaking down of some of those silos so that a person can be justice oriented. And um, tapped into the Holy Spirit, and contemplative, and uh, you know, deeply committed to a life of economic simplicity. Like we we get to be a part of we get to we get to um, you know have connections with all the different streams rather than just our one small one, yeah, or our home one. So I'm yeah. I'm really encouraged by that. Yeah, good. Anything else that you're noticing that you? Um, I, I, from country to country, I think awareness of the, even just the term spiritual formation, mm-hmm. uh, varies quite a bit. Um, I'd, I find in the UK and Australia, it's a newer term than for many of us in Canada and the United States. Um, 
I think one of the big questions that uh, faith leaders have is, um, what does the opportunity for holistic discipleship change about how we gather? Hmm. And some some leaders even despair. They say, can can we do it in this form? Like, or do we really need to uh, like interrogate how we gather? Because um, you know the the way the church gathers now in its various expressions comes from a time where information was scarce. And um, now that we have, you know, platforms like whoever, anyone who's going to listen to this, like yeah. any anyone can create a podcast, uh, post something up on the internet. So all the ideas are there. All the great content is there. What seems more scarce is the deep, the honest relationships and the commitment to shared a shared journey of practices, and yeah. so um, we've got our work cut out for us figuring out how, um, especially in a hyper individualistic world like the one we live in, and a hyper technological world, how do we share enough life together yes. where where we can be honest and we can be um, taking steps of risk together to respond to the Holy Spirit, and learn to practice the way. Yes, wonderful. And that could lead us into a whole other conversation about yeah. the role of new monasticism and how, you yeah. know, but that's another conversation. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so Mark, that's, that's good. I, you know, I think for me, as, as somebody who sort of in my early days, my formation as a leader sort of began to take hold of these things that you were teaching. And I mean, we built our whole community back in Hamilton when they say, who are you? I would say, well, we're a bunch of friends doing experiments together. Mm. And actually, I would call my definition of new monasticism, it's, it's the great experiment. It's, it's friends getting together saying, these practices that have anchored communities for two millennia, what could happen if we explore and experiment with them? In, in our culture and in, in our environments where we are here and now. And, and so we, we experienced the joy and the fruit of that back in, in Canada and are having a fun time going on that journey here in the UK as well. So I'm just so grateful. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. I'm hoping this will be the first of a number of, of conversations. Yeah. Um, can, you, can you pray for us or any last words maybe? And then, sure. and then you can pray for us on our way out. Well, I, I just want to say that because we've been talking about practice, what comes up for some people is a, uh, an obligation of performance, mm. and that's not what we're talking about. Mm. Um, if you look at Matthew 11, Jesus looks out in this crowd of people who are tired and worn out, and he says, come to me, I'll show you how to do it, and I'll give you a real rest. Yeah. You know, you're going to find rest for your souls. So... Um, Jesus invites us into this dynamic of shared experiments and practices because it will help liberate us, make us more free, yeah. our lives more light than the lives that we've been living individualistically and, and um, theoretically or apart from the, um, the true reality of the kingdom. Uh, mm. And maybe just one other thing is I've been surprised at how well Zoom works for a practice group. Um, the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of labs online. And 
um, that we really, it, it really does work to um, connect people in shared practices uh, across geography. And maybe just to reference the new monastic thing for a minute, the or monasticism, historically, you were part of a monastic community that lived together. So it was really easy to share practices. Yes. And so for, so for those of us who don't live together or, um, or live, you know, all over the place, the challenge is how to stay connected enough that it feels like we're not just, we don't just aspire to these cool words that are our vows, but we, they actually have teeth. And, um, I think there's some method that can help us to do that. Um, that you and I are going to get to explore in that group. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love to pray. Um, Great, thanks. Lord, today may we live with open hands, mm. mourn what's broken, serve one another with self-respect, use our power for good, look with compassion, walk in honesty, reach past differences, suffer for love, and live fearlessly following your way of radical love. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go.